0: Music, news entertainment it's all right here this is the kelly alexander show
1: hey it's kelly and this week we chat with grammy award-winning recording artist shaggy who has had an amazing career with hit songs like oh carolina Angel, It Wasn't Me, and now Banana, a collaboration he did with fellow reggae artist Conqueror. We also welcome rising Canadian star Tate McRae talking about how her music career is taking off after having success as a young dancer. And our music editor Sharon Hyland is here to talk about the impact of Eddie Van Halen, who has influenced so many artists and musicians since the
0: 1970s. Like us on Facebook! Kelly Alexander Show.
1: Super excited to welcome Grammy Award winning legendary artist, Shaggy. Shaggy, how are you?
0: Oh, love, it, love it.
1: <laughs> I am
0: so I happy had, that you just did that. I just had that. to do that one time.
1: <laughs> I'm so happy you did that. You just made my day and my year, in fact. That's awesome. Uh, I'm so oh, excited to, to have you. Thank you so much for hanging in. Um, I'm going to start Ooh. right away with um, with Banana. How did you actually get called to, to come in on the song with Conqueror?
0: Hey, you know what? Uh, Conqueror brought the record. Um, well, actually, my manager brought the record to me uh, because he knew Conqueror And he said, Shaggy, I think this record is a really hit record. You should play it. And, and, and when he played it to me, I really loved the lyrics. I loved the little innuendos. I loved how tongue and cheeky it was. But I had one problem. I was apprehensive in doing the record because I did it in 1996 on the Bastic album. Okay. You know? He took the, the old uh, Banana Boat song from Harry Belafonte and put some really, tongue of lyrics to it. And I'm like, dude, I did that in 1996. And he's like, yo, man, but I think you shit's a long time ago. Nobody's gonna remember. And I'm like, yeah, but I wanna repeat myself, blah, blah, blah. I went into my old, little artist mode, you know what <laughs> I mean? So I was like, yo, I don't wanna repeat myself. I want, you know, and he's like, well, well, why don't you produce the record, you know? Cause it was really, wasn't any production to it then. I was like, all right, cool, I'll do that. And so I, I started doing the drums and used out my guys and created the whole music around it. And I was like, oh, yo, I kind like, of like how this is coming out. And I said, you know what? I got a friend of mine I'm going to call. So I called a friend of mine by the name of Steve Greenberg. And Steve is the head of S-Curve record. And Steve was, I'd done the Maxi Priest album with him and produced that album with him and wrote, and wrote it. So he was like, I said, Steve, I have a record with you that I think is right up your alley. Cause he, you know, he did. Who let the dogs out? That yeah. was their big monster hit. It's like, oh, I love those songs. You know, I did, and I played it for him. He's like, Shaggy, this is a monster. I love it. It's great. I'm like, but I want you on it. I'm like, eh, I don't really want to do that record. I did it. it is like, but I'm not putting it out unless you're on it. So hey, <laughs> so uh, I, I ended up, I ended up had, having to go on it. You know, he wanted me on it. Uh, you know, uh, Nick wanted me on it, and. Um, Martin, my manager, one of them I saw, and it's the best decision they've ever, they've ever Thank them all for making me not look like an idiot. <laughs> <laughs>
1: did you know it was going to go, Shaggy? Like, did you know it was going to blow up? Because it's, it's, and it's such a, like, when I'm on the radio and it comes on, when I get to play the song on my show, like, immediately I crank the volume. Like, it's a
0: fun song to play. Well, in honesty, I knew it's a hit record. It, okay. it, because it's a, pro- it's a proven record. It, it, it is Dale afterwards. It's been a hit many, many years ago. So it's a, it's a hit record. The melodies all of that, you know, the beat beside it was up, it was happy. So I did feel like it was a hit record. Was it going to be this super monster that it is and jump on TikTok and get everybody going? And no, I didn't, I didn't expect that. I didn't expect it to be a centipede with, you know, 3000 legs. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Not at all. You know, Uh, we put the record out in August uh, and it kind of flatlined, you know, we we did like one and two television shows and there was a lot of crazy promotional money put inside of it and it just kind of stiffed. And I was like, all right, cool. You know, we, we took a shot and it was, that was it. And out of nowhere, you know, some TikTokers hit it and, you know, from New Zealand and popped it up and it was great. And it's a testament to like Conqueror who toured at those areas before and, and was really working that area. And, you know, me being, um, I just come from a summer tour with me and Sean Paul and, and Conqueror was also there on those, on, uh, on, I think one of those shows over there. So yeah, uh, it, it just kind of worked, you know, and it was great. What's it
1: like working? Cause obviously you've been around for a hot minute. We love you. Everybody. When somebody says Shaggy, like l- all different song titles pop into people's heads. What was it like collaborating <laughs> with, uh, an, not, I don't want to say up and coming, but he is kind of up and coming. Like he hasn't been around that long. Conqueror.
0: Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm, this is my norm. If you look at the patterns of what I've, what I've done, you know, uh, in 2000 there was a young artist by the name of uh, Rick Rock that nobody knew you know he was on wasn't me you know there was another young artist by the name of rayvon that i did summertime and angel with and big up with that nobody knew uh recently i did i need your love with an artist by the name of Mahambi, another one called fady and a relatively unknown artist and we had you know a top five radio record in america and um and now we're here with Conqueror, another unknown you know i did cardi b uh, before she had bodak yellow on a song called boom boom you know so it's been my it's been my kind of my pattern and my thing to just kind of do artists uh you know feature artists that i think are are, are talented and great and, and unique and you know i have something about them a work ethic you know i mean a certain style that i think people could grab to and and one thing i liked about con was the fact that he was so damn determined. Anybody, you know, jump on a plane by himself and go all the way to Australia, New Zealand, these places to promote their record would by himself, no manager, no nothing, and sometimes didn't even get paid. That's a guy that really wants it bad. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, you know, he, uh, he found, he's good at finding his way. He's not going to look at himself and say, hey, you know, I'm, you know, I'm going to sing like me or whatever it is. He's like, I'm going to sing the songs that work for me that suit me and, and, and he's very smart about staying in his lane and doing his thing and I'm you know, helping him produce his new album right now. And, um, it's, it's really, really cool just to see how he's developing and, and, and how he wants to try things and, you know, how when something doesn't work, he doesn't get bummed out about it and said, like, okay, nah, that's a little too high for me let me do this or let me, you know what I mean? It's, it's great to see that. He's smart that way.
1: You are celebrating the 20th anniversary of your legendary album, Hotshot, um, tell us about how you're celebrating it this year.
0: Well, you know, I was asked to do Hot Child was a very monumental album in, in, in uh, the genre of dance the It was the uh, album that really brought numbers to the genre. Uh, it, it was the album that really put the genre on um, different, many different platforms. And so, to celebrate the album, the label asked me if I would uh, do a remaster. And I didn't feel like I wanted to do a remaster because I think everybody has done that. So, I came up with another idea. So, like, why wouldn't I do a re-record? I re record? And I started to record, re record like the first five tracks, which was the singles, you know, Angel, It Wasn't Me, Love Me, Love Me. And then I did like, you know, Keeping It Real and Hot Shot. So, I like, okay, let me do those songs first, you know, boom. And so I started to experiment with like trap and reggaeton and beats and hip hop uh, with all of these tracks. And the reason why I did that, because there were so many young people that were doing TikToks like it wasn't me. And, you know, a lot of these songs, Angel, it Was Me, Love Me, Love me, these songs were all very recurrent on radio. So I just wanted the younger generation to really experience what we experienced in, in 2000 put in their kind of vibe, you know, with trap and hip hop and Afrobeat and all of these, you know, hybrids. And so once I started to do those five tracks, I was like, yeah, I really like how this is going, this is coming out, new vocal, new music, you know, let me try this on some of my older stuff. And then I did Bombastic and I was like, wow, this is dope. And I did, you know, Old Carolina, strength of woman, a sexy lady. I'm like, yeah, this is it. So I was like, okay, well, I can't really call it Hot Shot. And then my manager was like, why? You know, it's a celebration of the journey of Shaggy. You know, what I mean? I'm like, okay, well, let's do four new songs. And we did five new songs, which is Banana. And you know, we put Banana on there. And I, I did um, Primavera with me and Sting, Buckingham Palace, old Peter Tush track, um, you know, Electric Avenue, Eddie Grant, massive classic that I love, all Caribbean styles music. And of course, I did um, Caribbean Way. And once I did those, I was like, man, I really like how this sounds. This is amazing, you know? And um, <clears throat> after that, it was just a, a, a journey. It celebrated the journey of Shaggy, and the new songs was a little bit of a window of what to come from Shaggy, and I just really liked it. And, and uh, you know, so far, I've played it for a couple of my people, my management, they were like, oh, this is great. We should go with this. Let's go. And the label loves it, so,
1: what do you think it is about Shaggy's music that has transcended the different decades? Like, again, you've been hot since 93. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Um, you know, first of all, I'm in a genre that there was no support for it. In 1993, no radio stations really played. That's all. You know, and what I, what I did was a hybrid. I did a hybrid of, of it, which was so Caroline. It was not pure. I was criticized by the purists, you know as if there's anything as pure music. It's seven notes, do, re, mi, fa, so, oh, we're not inventing, the we rule here, you know? Uh, but I think, you know, this was the first number one dancehall record um, in the British charts, never happened before. And then we did it, we followed up with Mr. Boombastic, it was the first time dancehall, or reggae debuted at number one. And I did that with, uh, It Wasn't Me, and then with Angel and of course with the Hot Shot album. So, it was, you know, it, it, at that point, it, what I did that was really cool was the fact that I did not cookie cut. You know, when I did um, "Old Carolina," there were a lot of people doing songs that are similar to that sound that I created. So, you know, there was um, "Twist and Shout" by Chaka suppliers. and Pliers. There was "Tease Me, Tease Me," which is kind of like the "Old Carolina." There was a song called "Boom Shakalak," you know, with Steve, who was a good friend of mine, and we used to hang out. He literally. Did Mr. Bombastic? I mean, took took "Oh and created "Boob Shaka Life" out of it, you know. And the label wanted me to do it was like everybody's doing your feeling, you're not doing it again. I was like, I was in my artist mind again. It's like, no, I'm not going to repeat myself. I'm not doing that. Blah blah blah. <laughs> and it was like, oh my god, he's so difficult, this guy, you know. And then I ended up writing a song called Mr. Bombastic, and I wrote it and brought it in. I said, "This is my record." He's like, "What is this? This doesn't sound like o Carolina.' This is garbage." And then, uh, Levi's took it for the commercial, you know, it was on the B side of like summertime and, you know, cause they wanted a really poppy summertime. It's, you know, this is just, my manager loved that he produced it and wanted to go out and, you know, it ended up being number three, you know, good, good record. But then after that, Mr. Boombastic on the B side <laughs> became this, this record that, you know, Levi's took up and it debuted at number one and I'm like... <laughs> <laughs> So you know it's been quite a it's been quite a journey. And at that time, you gotta remember we were in uh, when we when we did that. There's nothing a radio that sounded like these records. And when we did Angel, uh, like for instance, Angel wasn't me. We're in Britney Spears and Insect mode. You know, so it's the fact that there's no two records ever that sound alike. And I I try not to you know when I get my artist mode, I did not want to repeat myself. It kind of worked in my favor by not. Making them put me in a box so I could do anything. I could go from a hardcore dance hall with Church Eden, which was a big underground the ground, 19 weeks number one dance hall, and then go do something like banana. <laughs> and it's like did it, it's, it's cool. <laughs> I could get up and say, I'm gonna work with a 66-year-old rocker, and we're gonna do some reggae stuff. And we don't know if it's even reggae, we're just gonna hybrid it up and we don't care what you think. That kind of vibe.
1: Um, I do want to ask you before I let you go, when you're on stage, uh, what song gets the biggest reaction for you still to this day? Is it like, is it wasn't me? Is it Oh Carolina? Like which one? And do you still love performing those songs?
0: You know, it changed over a period of time. I tell you what, right uh, right before now, now it's probably going to be Banana. Clear out of the box. I haven't had a chance to perform that, but I'm pretty sure it's going to be that. But before that, it wasn't me. It was just like, People wait. We, it was so bad that we had to put that record last because okay. nobody would li- nobody would leave until they hear that one. <laughs> but before that, like a couple of years before that, I'd say probably around seven eight years before that, Angel was your big record. Okay, Angel was that Angel was that song. You know. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Everybody decided to want to call me at this time. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's all good. And uh, last question for your Montreal fans: uh, Do you have a special message for them? Because we love you up here in Canada, at Montreal.
0: You know what i've had an, an amazing run an amazing relationship with canada over the years like i said songs like uh you know nice and lovely i think almost every single that i put out was you know, was was a hit in canada um pretty much you know that girl maxi priest everything it was just you know it's been one of those situations that, that you know canada just showed me mad love and continue to so I'm, my fans have been with me for, for a long time like hey thank you for the amazing journey or new fans. I hope you have even a fraction of what we did. You'll have a lot of fun.
1: Perfect. Shaggy, it's been such a treat to speak to you. I appreciate your time so, so much. Thank you.
0: The Kelly Alexander Show.
1: Joining us on The Kelly Alexander Show, our music editor, Sharon Highland. Hey, Sharon. Hey, Kel, how are you? I am fantastic. And I should mention as well, right off the uh, the hop, if you will, that you and I co-host a, another podcast together called 90s Now, where we talk about all things 90s and all things now. And so that is at 90snow.com and, of course, on all your favorite podcast platforms. And you and I recently chatted on, on that show, on our other show, about the recent passing of Eddie Van Halen. And so I thought it would be very important to bring that conversation over to Kelly Alexander's show because, of course, he was such um an important figure in the music industry and has touched not only people in the world of rock but in other genres of music as well. So, um and you work at a rock station, so I guess I'll just start there from your perspective as a rock DJ, if you will. Um what was that moment like finding out that he had passed away?
2: That was a it was a giant ah, oh, no moment. You know, like he's at 65 years old and I've said this before when we've talked about the great ones that uh pass on to the next uh plane um that the closer you are to that age the younger it seems That that age is you know like oh he was mm-hmm. so young 65 years old is young though i'm i'm not super close to the age but i sort of think of of him as one of my uh you know rock heroes and like uh, it's just one of those things that uh, you lose one of the greats. And, and it's within the past few years, we've lost some true uh, like pillars of rock and roll that date back long before Eddie Van Halen um, and lived way longer than Eddie Van Halen was afforded the opportunity to do. So uh, 65 compared to, you know, 90, that kind of thing it's it seems it seems too young to me and and from uh you know being at work and the steady stream of of text messages of people that are affected by it i wasn't on the air the day that uh, it happened and and when we got the news but we went all van halen on our station that day and people were texting and calling and sending messages uh just on on what van halen music means to them meant to them what role it played in their life. Um and then I was on a few days later and still was getting text messages of people in that reflective mode. So it's it's pretty powerful stuff.
1: I was listening to an interview the other day from um a DJ out of uh the states um and I and I like a, a host and has his own show on on uh you know I think multiple different platforms and he was talking in his opinion how Van Halen's first four albums like, no one can ever say anything about them. They are solid from front to, 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 to the end, to the last track. And then he said from then on, like, he he's obviously still a fan of their work, but he said, I guess it wasn't for everyone's taste when the keyboards got added in. So what's your thoughts on, on their uh, discography?
2: Well, the funny thing is that the first four albums are straight-up rock albums. So what the... Uh um the benefit of time gives to a straight up rock album where in nineteen seventy eight your parents would have been screaming, Turn that down now people are like, I love that. I remember that. You know what I mean? Like it's it's uh it 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 almost softens in time. The rock doesn't soften, but the the reception to it is like it it it, it makes itself more open to to uh to be consumed almost. And you know, for uh, I think I know who you're talking about, but for the first four albums, those are straight up, like the th- their third album didn't, I don't think I had a hit on it. And not that that matters because mm-hmm. hits and chart stuff doesn't necessarily apply to, uh, to rock bands in the same way that it would a pop artist. And to be honest, um, for their fourth album, which was called Fair Warning, within a month, I just noticed this the other day because I was, going down the rabbit hole and just, you know, remembering stuff within a month of that album's release called fair warning. Um, uh, billboard had established the uh, mainstream rock chart. Oh, wow. So that was new at that time. And certainly, uh, Van Halen wasn't the first to get on that chart, but they had four songs on that album that were on that chart that wouldn't necessarily have made it to the top 40
1: crazy. Can you talk as you are speaking yeah. just come you can talk. Can you talk to us a little bit about Eddie Van Halen the guitar player and his influence on bands coming up behind him because I hear and and understand that there's just so many people that he made them want to either take up uh guitar playing or just music in general.
2: Well, it's the uh the swirling solo that comes out of uh, off his off his hands that you know, just sears right through you almost. And you're like, what is happening? And again, to go back to the discography, the first four albums, even the fifth one, uh, and then the, like you were saying, the intro of the, uh, of the keyboards would have happened in 1984, the album and the year as, as a mainstay. Certainly they had played, you know, other piano licks (laughs) in prior songs, but it just happened to be, that would be the album that featured jump, um, and a couple of other heavy ballads, power ballads even. And, and then it sort of stayed for albums that followed. But for the, I think, when you think of great guitar players, I mean, even, Van, even Eddie Van Halen himself would have looked back on the greats like Eric Clapton and Jimmy Page. Um, and so I think any, uh, any young guitarist or any guitarist worth his uh, salt, let's say, has to credit Eddie Van Halen as an influence for having done what he had done, you know, all the way back to nineteen seventy eight. Certainly the last album that they did was a nice uh regrouping with uh David Lee Roth back in twenty twelve. But um every album offered something that you're like, whoa, oh, wow, he's doing something different there. It was certainly Van Halen. You knew that it was Van Halen, but his guitar his mastery of the guitar was audible and inspiring. So you couldn't hear a song and, and not go, Oh, I'd like to I think I can do that. <laughs> you know, you you're inspired to try. So, it's no surprise that he would remain and always will remain an influence long long from now.
1: Can you I guess discern for us um in your opinion again as someone who's been in the rock uh radio industry for a long time now. Um when we say hair bands, right? Like I think certain bands come mm-hmm. to mind and I'm just wondering like what's your thoughts on that term and then Those some of those bands with regards to musicianship, because I think even though some of them did have the hair, and that's what was going on, like I think Poison would come to mind for me. But like, where do you say like like a Poison stacks up against a Van Halen, just with regards to musicianship and 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 that you know, obviously, I think one band was more successful than the other. But what's your thoughts on that?
2: Well, I think the the idea that people need to classify and and uh, and compartmentalize music, hair metal. Got the short end of the stick because because of the uh, the props of having to do the hair and the makeup. It was just you know like did Kiss take their licks for having to put all that makeup on? Yes, they did, but they made great rock. <laughs> They're mm-hmm. like the epitome of hair metal, right? <laughs> they have all the hair and they have all the makeup. <laughs> but then you get into the '80s and you got your Poisons, you got your Motley Crue. Um, warrant uh there's so many that are under that hair metal umbrella that as soon as and we've discussed this before but as soon as grunge came in people were like no more hair metal thank you we're going to listen to only this because they're being true and they haven't washed their hair in a couple of days so that (laughs) obviously means that it's better it's It's such a weird thing you know but like you could listen to you know poison like you were saying uh Motley Crue, some of the, it's all, the music is good. If you like music, you like it <laughs> yeah, and you'll stand up for it. And, and all of those hair metal bands have fans that will still go and see them. Uh, some of them certainly were more successful than others, but some of them, like, <laughs> go back to the beginning of Poison. As far as hair metal went, they were like, they had a lot of a spray makeup. and net, yeah. And <laughs> a lot of hair product. And yet you know, the songwriting sort of took them through to yep. get to a point where you can sing every rose has its thorn and not have to worry about how much lip gloss you have on. Right. You know?
1: Exactly.
2: <laughs> I remember seeing an interview with a couple of members of Motley, of uh, not Motley Crue, but um, Poison, and something happened, and the guy said, oh, I think I got a little lip gloss on you. Like, yeah. <laughs> like I- it was just part of what they had to do, you know, part of the outfit. Yeah. <laughs> it's so weird, though, like... Part of the idea of wearing makeup, having big hair, sparkly outfits even, part of that dates back to uh, pre-video monitors at concerts because the artists knew that they had to connect with the person that was way up you know, in the last row at the back. They needed to be able to see them, so they wore sparkly clothes or they made their hair big. That was part of the show. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a part of the music, and certainly I guess there were some bands that... (laughs) got taken down by their, their uh, uh, makeup and hair, but it, it, it's not necessary. And I think if they were taken down, it was somebody's doing, not the music.
1: Where does Van Halen go from here? Is there anywhere to go? Because Eddie is gone now.
2: I would say, in my opinion, with no information and no connection to the band at all, I would be surprised if they carried on. Okay. Like, it doesn't make sense to me yeah. to do that. Similar to, you know, when you go back to 40, it's been 40 years since John Bonham of Led Zeppelin died and the band was done. Like there was, they didn't even hesitate. That said, uh, the lead singer of ACDC also died in 1980 and they had their, one of their most successful albums come out, but before the end of that same year and changed lead singers. So I can't see a band called Van Halen uh, continuing without one of the Van Halens. I would be surprised, but yet I would cheer them on whatever they decided to do, though I would be very surprised.
1: I've heard through the grapevine, and I'm not sure if it's true or not, and I feel like you could uh, or would know this, that they were not or are not great about maybe releasing some footage that they might have from concerts in the past and all that stuff. Do you think there is even any that's in the vault that they could release like a year from now um, that would make Van Halen fans happy to see maybe some songs or hear some songs they haven't heard before or footage from a concert in, like, Japan from 1987 or something that would be of interest?
2: I'm sure they've got a ton of stuff that uh, they're sitting on. Um, uh, Because how could they not? Right, right. Ultimately, what they could control was whether or not it was going to be released or used or whatever. But what would it benefit the fans? A hundred percent, right? Because people are hungry for that kind of, you know, connection. Especially now with what we're going through and not being able to see live music, it would be almost the perfect time to do it. You know, mm-hmm. and I mean, it's I mean extra sad because it's almost like you wish they would have done it before he got sick. Right. Yep. But you can't plan that
1: stuff, Kel. No, you can't. Um, I appreciate your time, Sharon Highland. Kelly, I appreciate you. (laughs) Fantastic. And we appreciate if you would listen to our other show that we do together, 90s Now. And you can find that on 90snow.com.
2: The Kelly Alexander Show.
1: Joining us on the show is rocketing Canadian pop artist Tate McRae. Tate, thanks so much for hanging out with us. (laughs) Thank you
3: for calling.
1: So I wanted to ask you this. Have you been able to take it all in, the amazing ride that you've been on for the last couple of years? Because first of all, you had a ton of success in the world of dance, and now your music career is taking off. Have you been able to enjoy any of this?
3: Uh, It's been definitely going by pretty fast and quickly. So I've definitely been putting my head down and, and working so it's been it's been hard to take a moment and look back, but when I do, it's it's pretty cool to see the things that are happening.
1: Will dance always play an important role in your life as a uh, like a pop recording artist? Because I feel like you are obviously the perfect person to sort of marry dance and uh, music, just like Peeps before you have done like Britney Spears and Pink and on all that sort of good stuff.
3: I totally hope that one day I can really start to contribute my my dance into my singing, especially for performances and music videos. I definitely want to try and merge the dance scene into the music industry as much as possible because it's such a huge part of my life and will forever be will be you
1: know what's really crazy is I was going through your Twitter feed and then I I saw that you and I follow the same 27 people or there's a a group of 27 people so I took a look and it's all like dance people because I'm a big fan of dance so like I see that you and I are both following like Brian Friedman and like all these amazing dancers and so what do choreographers mean to you because a lot of people don't really realize the role that choreographers play behind the scenes
3: yeah no I mean most of these choreographers have been huge mentors to me since I was about nine years old. So I've grown up learning from them and constantly doing their work and having to execute it the way they want it. It's a very, it's a very strict in, uh, industry, and I feel like that's kind of prepped me for the singing industry for sure. But you know, they play a huge role. They're they're what's they're the eyes and the and the vision between for music videos and most performances. And I don't think that most of the time they get enough credit. Because they're amazing and so talented, and there's so many that people don't even know about.
1: Has your ride on So You Think You Can Dance really helped sort of pave the way for the attention that you're getting now? Because obviously, everybody wants a piece of Tate McRae these days.
3: <laughs> oh my gosh! I mean, I would say that So You Think You Can Dance definitely prepped me for a lot. It kept me pretty grounded right now, just because I'm. I feel like I don't really get nervous for things because. Or, or or, super stressed out, which I should as a teenager, and there's a lot going on. But at 12 years old, I, I, I had to go through a lot of high-pressure situations, and I think it was really good that I got to experience that early on and, and know how to deal with it.
1: When you posted that first song to your YouTube channel, did you have any clue that it was going to go crazy town?
3: Oh, not at all. It was just, That song was actually a total accident. I, I was supposed to be posting a dance video. And then all the footage got deleted and we basically didn't have anything to post. So I wrote a song in like 20 minutes and just put it out there, didn't even have a title and was not expecting it to blow like it did.
1: That's crazy. That's super awesome. I'm so happy for you. Now, can you talk a little bit about your song, Tear Myself Apart, which I understand was co-written by Billie Eilish and Phineas. So how did that come about?
3: So I'm a big fan of Billie and Phineas and basically the song got sent to me and I was they were like, do you want to cut this song? It's it's from Billy and Phineas. And I was for sure down, obviously. I'm a huge fan. And then we cut it, and then a week later got it produced. And it was just, like, really crazy. And then I met her at her concert about a week later um, in L.A., and she's the sweetest. So it was a pretty cool, pretty cool first release with my label.
1: That's awesome. Talk to us about being Canadian and the benefits of that. Because I know, I watched one of your interviews that you did, um, and you were talking about just sort of being from Canada, and the interviewer was talking about how much he loves Canadians. And so is do you find that, even though you're in L.A. so much?
3: Everyone always loves Canadians. I mean, everywhere I go, and no matter what interviews, people are always saying, oh, I can, I can tell you're Canadian, not only from your accent, but because you're nice. And I, <laughs> I was like, oh, isn't everyone nice? <laughs> it's, it's kind of it's kind of interesting, but definitely people in Canada are are a lot nicer than I than 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 most, I think.
1: I wanted to get your thoughts on this. I read a quote that says that you've been described by L as Canada's answer to Billie Eilish. How does that make Tate McRae feel?
3: <laughs> That's crazy. Some of the quotes that people have said are kind of surreal feeling just because, you know, I it's it's hard for me to think of myself anything more than just a 16 year old girl. So, you know, when I, when Owl magazine, which is like, I've been reading since I was super young and, 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 you know, seeing all these interviews, it's it's kind of crazy to think that people are appreciating my work so much and being able to recognize some of the stuff that I've done. It's kind of, Weird.
1: (laughs) Do you find there's added pressure, maybe just put on by the planet and or yourself, in feeling like a responsibility to be a bit of a role model for young adults, or like are you just kind of focusing on Tate McRae's music career at this point?
3: For sure, I think there's a lot of responsibilities that come with social media platforms and um, being in the eyes of a lot of people. I think you definitely have to watch what you're doing, no matter what, and be aware of what you're saying and how you're reacting to things, because people are, people are watching way more than you know. And, um, you know, I was, I, like I said, as a 16 year old, that's a, that's, a hard thing to deal with just because you make a million mistakes and you're constantly just trying to learn as much as you can from everything that you experience. But you definitely have to know that people are looking up to you and people are following your every move.
1: Your new song is called vicious. Can you talk to us about the music video? Because it's sick. And I understand that you filmed some of it yourself.
3: Yeah, so that music video, so we were supposed to go to LA and film a real music video, but we ended up having to do it quarantine style, and it ended up, I had to tape my phone to the roof, and then um, on Zoom call with like 15 people, I just had to film the whole music video for six hours straight in my bedroom, and then had to send it over, and they put in some animations and stuff, and... It was a difficult process directing it all on my own.
1: Well, congratulations because it came out like awesome sauce. It's it's great. Thank you. Being sixteen, obviously, you're still living with your parents. I hope. What does yeah. their support mean, and and your family support in general? Because, like, yeah, like Tate McRae's on a crazy ride right now.
3: <laughs> uh, I definitely have the most supportive family ever, and they've been amazing every single move of the way. Uh, so constantly traveling traveling with me and coming to my my first ever tour was pretty sick you know it's it's really cool to have people that are so supportive on this really risky career path because I know that you know there's a lot of people that that want to sing when they're older and want to dance and um, I've wanted to since I was nine years old so it's, it's I'm very grateful to be able to have parents who are supporting me no matter what.
1: I was on your Twitter feed, as I mentioned earlier, which I sound like a stalker, but I'm not. I was just trying to be as prepped as possible for our interview. (laughs) And uh, I love that I saw a post where uh, you have some new merch out and the profits are going to Black Lives Matter. Can you talk to us about that? Because I think that's really amazing.
3: Yeah, I mean, I've definitely, social media has been a crazy, the world has been a crazy place lately. And, you know, this is a big, this is a big issue going on and I want to make sure that our lives don't just go back to normal after this. I hope that people are constantly trying to sign petitions and just be aware and share things on their social medias and do as much as you can. I feel like as an influencer, I feel like I have the responsibility to bring as much attention to it as possible um, with the platform. So I feel like all this new merch that I'm releasing, I really wanted it to go towards Black Lives Matter and and so that it can be for a good cause.
1: Well, I think that's amazing, Tate. And uh, I just want to say thank you for doing that because I think a lot more artists need to do what you're doing and have a voice and so good for you. Thank you. Have you been to Montreal yet? Because we're excited to have you here at some point. So I hope you come.
3: I haven't been there yet but I would love to come one
1: day I want to ask as someone who's from Calgary explain to me what your mind thinks Montreal is because I know what I think of Calgary I've only like landed there and changed planes once but like what does you know <laughs> Tate think that Montreal is like do you have a vision of what you're gonna have when you come here?
3: honestly I have no idea okay <laughs> I mean <laughs> I, I I would say like, you know i've i've like toronto quebec like there's like there's like a lot of like i don't know saskatchewan i think there's a lot of places but you know montreal i've
1: I've never been and i'm curious to see okay great (laughs) well we're gonna feed you very well because we have amazing restaurants here so you'll be you'll be all hooked up (laughs) are you looking forward to getting back out on tour like what's the best part of being on tour for you
3: uh probably just the fans singing back to you that's the craziest feeling ever is being on stage and, you know, people relating to your music and, and singing it right back, it's it's kind of surreal and, and not easy to explain.
1: What message would you want to give out to your Montreal fans? Because, again, you have, like, a strong contingent here. I mean, I, I will forever love all my
3: Canadian fans. I think that us Canadians you need know, to stick together, and I think it's super sick when people in my own country are, you know, really supportive and, and are fans of my music. It's really cool to me.
1: All right, so I'm going to finish off with breaking it down with Tate. Do you like filming music videos?
3: Yes, (laughs) I do.
1: (laughs) Do you think you'll direct your own? Like, I know you had to direct the quarantine-style one, but do you think now this is, like, opening up a new career path for you? I would love to direct my own music video. Direct and completely produce
3: and edit. I would love that one day.
1: Awesome. What's the best compliment you've received from a fellow entertainer that has stuck with you?
3: Oh, um, let me think. I mean, definitely... Shoot, that's a hard one I think when 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 people like other entertainers genuinely like your music, it is probably one of the biggest compliments ever because I know so many people can say, "Oh yeah, you're really sick, oh yeah, nice music, but if they like actually have taken the time to analyze your songs and your lyrics and and, and dig into details and bring out something that you didn't even know they listened to, it's pretty special and I don't think they ever realized.
1: And last question: Who is your celeb crush? Oh, I mean,
3: ooh, that is hard. <laughs> um, <laughs> I've always had a big crush on Zac Efron, um, <laughs> but I don't know if I'm saying his name right. But there's this other guy named Kelly Uber Jr. Okay, I don't know if that's his. I don't know how to explain him. He's a basketball player. Oh, we'll go. We'll go with that. Nice that's fine. looking.
1: <laughs> is nice looking that's awesome Uh, Tate thank you so much for doing this it's been so great to have you and again we can't wait for you to come to Montreal thank you so much thank you so much for spending time with us on the program this week and a shout out to our guests Shaggy and Tate McRae my thanks to our super producer Adam Brisson and don't forget that you can listen to us on many different podcast platforms like Apple, Spotify, Google Play and Stitcher Radio we'd also love for you to grab all of our social media handles by jumping onto our website kellyalexandershow.com have a great
0: week You and I will chat soon. The Kelly Alexander Show.